You are now listening to the Legends Lingo Podcast, presented by Student Union Sports. Here are your hosts, Al and Powder. Enjoy the show. All right, everybody, welcome back in Legends Lingo Podcast, episode 196, presented by studentunionsports.com. Make sure to check out everything on studentunionsports.com. From Al Nahigan here, no Powder tonight again. So Powder's still part of the show. He's still a part of it. A lot's been going on. Travel baseball is kicking up, so that means his schedule is kicking up, which means he's busy. He's still a part of the show. I know he hasn't been on for a little while, but he'll be back on soon. We're getting there. I do have a guest tonight on with me. This is somebody, he's not a Boston sports radio personality. He's not a Boston sports, again, he's not a Boston sports radio personality or barstool guy or anything like that, but he is a big Red Sox fan and Bruins and Patriots and Celtics. He's actually, and he's verified on Twitter. His name is Aaron Scheinblum, and he is a play-by-play broadcaster, and we wanted to have him on tonight for a couple reasons. First of all, we love our guests, and second of all, we wanted to get to know a new friend. So, Aaron, welcome to the pod. Great to see your smiling face. <laughs> Al, it, it's, it is surreal to be here. I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be fun. It's going to be good. We're going to learn all about Aaron's story. We're going to be learning all about how he got to be a play-by-play broadcaster, what he's doing now with his life, and sort of where he wants to go from here, besides being, uh, you know, every now and then co-host of the Legends of the Podcast, but that's a different story. So we had a lot to talk about tonight. Patriots off a big win against the Colts, moving the 5-4 and four on the season into the bye week. And we're going to talk about everything with that. Bruins sign a controversial player and then release said controversial player. We'll talk all about that. And Xander Bogarts is officially a free agent, so what does this mean for the Red Sox? But before we get into all of that, let's get to know our guests a little bit. So, Aaron, I found you through the wonderful world that is called Twitch. And we'll talk about your Twitch channel in a second. But for those that don't know you, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? I know we said play-by-play broadcast, but go into that a little bit. But just give us the background on who Aaron Scheinblum is from the Legends Single Podcast. No one important is the short version of that story. Uh, the longer one, <laughs> so, uh, the, the longer one is, yeah, you kind of hit the nail right on the head. So essentially I grew up on the East coast, obviously diehard new England sports fan. Uh, and then I was presented with an opportunity to move out to the Midwest and Iowa where I've kind of made roots over the last five plus years and met my wife out here. It, it, so we're, we're stuck here now. So despite how much I love being home here, there's always going to be home back in New England. I grew up in Connecticut. Like many across the sports broadcasting world, I too went to ESPN. Well, maybe one day. Went to Syracuse. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure they're the same thing. Uh, went to Syracuse because, believe it or not, I'm sure you probably remember uh, back when Sean McDonough was the play-by-play guy on Nesson, oh, yeah. I loved his style. I, I fell in love with his style. The guy who told the truth, told it like it was, was very honest, of course. But he also did a great job calling the action while keeping you entertained. And I kind of wanted to follow his footsteps. And when I actually ended up meeting him when I was still in school at Syracuse, he said, you made my day. And I said, well, you kind of made my life path. So we'll call it even. <laughs> so, out, out, outside of that, I mean, that, that's kind of how I came to be with you. And then our, our story, obviously, about how we connected is 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 also incredible. It's legendary. And, and we're going to 
We're going to get to that in a few minutes. Uh, just real quick, just to kind of follow up with that question. So you're a play-by-play announcer. What do you do for play-by-play announcing? Where can people find kind of your stuff to kind of hear the great calls of the great Aaron Scheinblum? Yeah, so the easiest way I can explain it is I do a lot of high school and college sports. We just wrapped up the football season because, believe it or not, we are already in the semifinals across the state. We've only got a couple more days of football left because what they'll actually do is play the semifinals and the championship only a few days apart. So they're going to move pretty quickly. And basketball season is going to start, I believe my first game is the 22nd. Wow. So it's it's it it's a very quick turnaround uh, here in the state of Iowa. Um, the way that sports work around here is a little different. Like baseball is a summer sport, right? Which is confusing for many. Um, but essentially, the best way you can you know tune in and watch because everything we do is on TV. Uh, you can always tune in online. You can go to kcrg.com/slash nine point two, or you can check it out on a website called View It which allows you to actually go back and watch the replays. That's just on VUIT.com. Now, they're not paying me to plug that. I want to make that very clear. So I feel <laughs> like we should send this to them after the fact and say that I got to get an incentive. But at the very least, it, it's provided an outstanding platform uh, to have some fun and broadcast some games that a lot of people care about. It's like that. It's like when you're signing up for a new job, right? It's like sign up for this new job and you get a $1,500 $1, incentive bonus. Aaron, could you get an extra thousand dollars for for plugging it? Give Absolutely. He's, Absolutely. He's he's a father. He works hard. Give him the raise. Damn it. Give him the raise. <laughs> but there you can kind of hear Aaron on all those platforms and everything else. So high school and college football, high school and college basketball. You do baseball in the summer, you said, right? Of course. Yeah. Baseball, soccer is a big one around here, of course. Uh we do we do dabble in some semi-pro soccer as well. So Really, it's just a matter of what's the sport for the season because uh, we're always, always busy. There's no off-season for what we do. Very true. And, and I see that, you know, from, and you mentioned like ESPN. I mean, you see it on that scale too, right? You see guys like, you know, Joe Buck on Fox, you know, he's doing like basketball and then he calls the World Series and then you might see him calling March Madness. And I, I know he doesn't call March Madness, but you see the example and you see how hard these guys work. So nothing but respect for Aaron and what he does. Now, let me ask you this. So you do all that. You're a father, but you also have a Twitch stream now. So now this is the part of where we connected, as Aaron alluded to earlier. Why don't you tell people about what you can see on your Twitch stream and sort of how you got it started, why you got it started, and how where you think it's gone from where you started to now? Well, for what it's worth, Al, if they want to pay me Joe Buck money and give me 10 mil a year, I, I will drop the, everything but the Twitch stream in my life right now. <laughs> that is that easy, easy, no problem. Or you get paid $10 million to do the Twitch stream. That's that even would, better. That would also be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the best way I can describe it is, you know, we were kind of, it was in the middle of like a volleyball game that we, they do on Tuesday nights. And I, I'm more of a emergency commentator when it comes to volleyball. So I'm sitting at home. And I'm wondering, you know, how do I do this on more nights than just Thursday and Friday and Saturdays for football? Is there a way that I can do something else with my time? And I was kind of wondering, you know, what would actually be entertaining? And I don't know, you know, your fan base, Al, but I know that for many of us around our age, we remember backyard baseball. Oh, yeah. And we remember 
just how entertaining it was for as ridiculous of a computer game as it is. The fact that, you know, here we are 25 years later and it has a little bit of a cult following that I've now discovered. Right. But I will say that it's it still has its fans. So what I thought is, and I remember pitching this to my wife, I said, I think I'm going to do a live broadcast of Backyard <laughs> Baseball. And she she looked at me like I was out of my mind. Like, <laughs> you you need to get out of the house, go for a walk, you know, go, go grab a drink down the street, whatever you need to do to come back to reality. You need to be here now. So I eventually was able to convince her and just on a whim, we started it up one Wednesday night and all of a sudden people start coming in. And and that, that was the big thing for me is I didn't want to just play the game. I wanted people to actually feel like they could have control over the game because I wanted to focus on the broadcast, you know, whether the team wins or loses no disrespect to Melonhead nation (laughs) doesn't bother me. Just just for, just for context people. So the name of the team is the junior Melonheads on backyard baseball, just in case you're like, what the hell is Melonhead nation? Sorry. Continue. Continue. No, that's, that's totally fair, but essentially, I mean, we've we've been doing it now for, oh God, it's a couple months now, and I am genuinely shocked with how quickly it has taken off and gained interest, and then obviously that's how you and I met, because right. you have become the, the adopted coach of the team <laughs> to the point where, I mean, people want, they want to see merchandise with your name on it. Which, by the way, is closer than you think to being a reality. No, and no, not. you will not. You will not make royalties. You will not. <laughs> I don't even care. I want the shirt. But it it's just, it always, it always makes me laugh because I'm like, listen, I'm like you. I just want to be a part of it. You know, you want people to be a part of it. And we talked on your Twitch stream about this. We can talk on the podcast about this. You just want to make people, I don't want to say laugh, but you want to see people have fun. You know what I mean? You want to see people enjoy it. Get that nostalgia back of playing, you know, an early 2000s game, which backyard baseball, I mean, legendary, absolutely legendary. So like when I came in, I'm like, you know what? What the hell is this guy doing? But then after that, why am I still not a part of this? This is awesome. You know, you get to call what types of hits go on. You get to call the pitches where they're located. You can have Pablo Sanchez bunt if you really want, which that one still drives me nuts. So whoever suggested bunting Pablo Sanchez, I wanted to literally like just go through the computer and be like, what are you doing? Stop it child. But it's, it's so much fun, but continue, continue with um, just whatever else you want to add. No, really, really. I mean that, that essentially summarizes it is that, you know, it's just something different. And, and quite frankly, you know, we live in a world where whether you use ESPN plus the Fox sports app, anything you can get an abundance of games at any time. And I wanted to make it a point where, you know, obviously, you know, you, you know me pretty well at this point, Mm -hmm. the way that I tend to do things is a little bit off pace of what you traditionally hear on a broadcast. That's not to say we're not taking it seriously or professionally, No. but what we're trying to do is we're also trying to keep you entertained, even if the score is 19 to two, you know, and that's the responsibility 
of a broadcaster. So essentially, you know, for me, this was an opportunity to work on, you know, even more skills, get to meet great people, but most importantly, have fun with what we're doing. That's really what this is all about. Absolutely. And the thing with you is you've gotten yourself Twitch affiliated, which means you've gotten just like perks and everything like that, which I don't know if you were ever planning on that. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think you were ever planning on that. Um, we didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't expect people to even watch, um, but just how quickly everything has happened, there's not a chance you would have ever told me that it would have worked this quickly. Um, it, yeah, no, to, to say that I expected it to reach this point, I'll put it to you like this, Al. Last stream, at the end of it, we did a doubleheader, took three and a half hours. I was genuinely concerned that people were going to get bored of it because of how long it was we went to extra innings i know that was crazy i did not think that game was gonna go to extra innings (laughs) and it's it home home run in the sixth inning to send with two outs by the way to send it to extra innings i think it was two strikes too wasn't it oh yeah (laughs) that was terrifying (laughs) terrifying for the guy clicking on stuff Uh, but but again I, i will i will just say that i mean really it was it was a conversation I had with my wife. I'm losing my voice going upstairs. First words out of my mouth, I told her, I said, I can't believe it had to go to extra innings. <laughs> and, and, and she looked at me and she, she said, honestly, I get it now. And that was the moment where I'm like, well, we can't stop. Exactly. Like this, this, this is no longer, you know, something that I thought would just be entertaining for me and a couple people. No, this, this has become very real. So we're going to, we're going to roll with it as long as people like it. I think people like it. I, it wouldn't surprise me if people eventually were like, you know what? We need more than one day a week. We, we need a couple days a week of this. Wouldn't surprise me really would not. <laughs> so we'll, we'll one, one day for now, we'll see if we do another, if, if we do next season, if we can push it to two days a week, I, I like to do other stuff in my free time. You know, I'm kidding. No, oh, you mean you don't just find a way to just rig the game of backyard baseball? You know, you, you don't try to get all the cheat codes and everything? Oh, uh, I mean, I think people would be smart enough, especially those diehards, where they would realize something is up. But at the very least, what we could do is just have other people play. I'm oh, sure there's a way where people can just take over and, and do it for me. So oh, who knows? Maybe you'll be called upon. Oh boy. I haven't played the game in so long. I'd be rusty, but you know what? I can make all the calls. I can, I can do that. I can use my brain. That, that That's my asset right now. It, it, it is an asset. You are one of the smartest people that is in that chat for sure. Much appreciated. You're just saying that because you're on my podcast, but I appreciate it anyways. <laughs> not at all. I know. All right. We'll have you plug all your stuff at the end because you're not just here for an interview. You're here for the whole show, my guy. So well, you got listen- you just lost all your listeners for what it's worth. They're they're all done now. <laughs> no, no, uh, we, we've got a lot to talk about. We do, we do. So, Aaron, you're the guest. We got Patriots, we got Bruins, we got Red Sox. We're not going to talk Celtics this week because Celtics, they're seven and three. They're looking pretty good, and we can kind of do a more in depth view of them in the weeks to come. But what do you want to talk about first? I, I I I'd say let's let's not bury the lead, and, and I think we should talk about Mitchell Miller. To lead okay. things off. Okay, fair enough. I, I I think if it's been as polarizing of a discussion as it has been for us here in Eastern Iowa, because I even had local sports writers here tweeting about it. I can only imagine what it's like back on the East Coast in oh. the back bay. <laughs> That's here. That's right. where we got to start. All right. So we'll start with the Bruins. 
So the Bruins right now, 11-2 and on the season, having a great start. They won seven in a row. They were 10-1. and They lost 2-1 to to the Maple Leafs the other night, but then won 3-1 to over the St. Louis Blues on Monday night. But that was not the story of the weekend. The story of the weekend was, as Aaron just said, Mitchell Miller. So people are so some people might be wondering who's Mitchell Miller because I'm not going to lie to you Aaron I didn't know who this kid was I had no idea I just saw a Bruins sign Mitchell Miller I'm like all right whatever like I don't know who this guy is but then I see on Twitter everyone's bashing him and I'm like oh what's going on here so then I looked more into it and I looked at the stories so for those that want to know who Mitchell Miller is let's give a little ba- a little bio so Mitchell Miller is a five foot ten defenseman from Sylvania Ohio I don't know if I'm saying that right. He is 20 years old, born on December 20th, 2001. He was drafted 111th overall by the Arizona Coyotes in the 2020 NHL entry draft. So you're probably wondering, why haven't we seen this kid in the NHL? Well, to put it nicely, this kid has a rough past. Really rough. And not not like things were done to him. Like He's been a bearer of bad news. So according to Wikipedia, which we know Wikipedia, how reputable that is, uh, Mitchell Miller had his draft status revoked after it emerged that he had subjected a classmate to extreme bullying for several years. A commitment to join the University of North Dakota hockey team was also ended as a result of the controversy and in 2021 played for the Tri-City Storm in the United States Hockey League. Now, I took a look at this kid's stats, and I don't know if you saw but last year, Aaron, he played the USHL 83 points in 60 games. So this kid's legit. He's a legit hockey player. But that doesn't excuse who he is as a human. So let me read to you a little bit about what happened with these bullying incidents. Uh, incidents. So in 2016, again, this is all from Wikipedia, but all this was verified by other people. In 2016, Mitchell Miller and a classmate were found delinquent in an Ohio juvenile court on charges of assault and a violation of the Ohio Safe Schools Act. The pair were accused and found guilty of deceiving a developmentally disabled African-American classmate, Isaiah Meyer Crothers, into eating a lollipop that had been wiped in a urinal, repeated bullying of Meyer Crothers, sorry, uh, Crothers, and repeatedly calling him the N-word, and Brownie. And this supposedly had started since second grade. Now, a a couple other elements, and then we'll kind of talk about it just because there's a lot to this picture. So Mitchell Miller started picking on this kid, Isaiah, second grade, all the way through high school. And when they went to court, the judge even said, I don't think you're remorseful. I think you're just upset you got caught and you're trying to save your image for your hockey career. Before the Bruins signed Mitchell Miller, a week before, Miller DMs the kid Isaiah on Instagram saying how sorry he is. A week before he signs with the Bruins. Isn't that a little fishy? That's a little bit fishy. So the Bruins signed this kid on Friday. And Cam Neely and Don Sweeney, I don't know what they're thinking. They're probably thinking, oh, the kid made a mistake. He was 14 years old. This wasn't a mistake. This was a pattern of repeated behaviors. So when you view everything on the surface, you say to yourself, why did they sign this kid? And not only that, the players were even saying, don't sign him. The captain, Patrice Bergeron, was saying, why are you doing this? We don't agree with this. I think David Krejci said something. Brad Marchand said something. 
all the Bruins were like, why are we signing this kid? It's not like he was going to go into the NHL. He was going to go into the AHL. He was going to report to Providence. But then even Commissioner Gary Bettman was like, he's not eligible to play in the AHL or the NHL right now. So they got so much scrutiny for it that on Sunday, Cam Neely and the Bruins finally said, you know what? We're going to cut ties with this kid. We're done with him. We should have never signed him. Press conference happens on Sunday with Don Sweeney, Monday morning with Cam Neely. And they basically just said, they basically said, we made a mistake. We we did wrong. Which that's the one small like reward I'll give them. Like that's the one small little like golf clap that I'll give them. They, they fessed up. They said, you know what? We shouldn't have done it. But now you think about this. And then Aaron, I want to hear your thoughts on it because I know I'm rambling about it. But Mitchell Miller should not be in the NHL. Now, I'm not going to say he should be in jail for the rest of his life. I'm not going to say that. But what I am going to say is he still has a lot to prove to even get the opportunity to get back there. Like he needs some, I don't know what he needs, whether it's, you know, being a part of charities, being a part of, you know, sensitivity classes and all that stuff. But when you repeatedly pick on an African-American mentally disabled young man, you have no place in the you have no place in professional sports. I don't care how good you are. Again, like I said, he had 83 points in 60 games last year in the USHL. He does not deserve to be in the NHL right now. He does not deserve to be a Boston Bruin or on any NHL team until he fesses up, until he has a heartfelt apology, show some remorse, because I don't know how much remorse, if any at all, that he has. And it's sad to see that he put that poor kid through so much torture years your thoughts Aaron on this whole situation well so a little a little backstory about me and this is important for context is that you know prior to uh, my life as a play-by-play broadcaster you know in the capacity that I do it now I reported on the news for three years and of course went to college to report on the news and the one thing that I think is important here is rather than talk about opinion for a second, let's just talk about fact. So we'll, we'll start with why Boston even called this guy. Why did the Bruins call this guy? He's an outstanding, outstanding hockey player. You mentioned how many points he had in the USHL. We have a USHL team in Cedar Rapids, just 20 minutes up from where I live. And I will tell you that if you can shine in that league, you will get noticed. And he didn't just shine out. He broke the record for most goals by a defenseman ever in the league's history. He's an outstanding hockey player. To say anything different is wrong. Right. But let's talk about the part that everybody's talking about. Mm-hmm. This what he has been not just convicted of in the court of public opinion, but in the actual court of law, he has been convicted for significant wrongdoing that you can cite related to racism, related to taking advantage of someone with a mental disability. And even if you don't combine those two, it's wrong. It's wrong from the get-go. No matter who you're doing it to. 
And you bring up the word remorse. I think remorse is the key word here. Because when did these things happen? You say he's 21 years old. These things happen, and he was convicted when he was 14, but of course the family says that it has gone on for years prior to that conviction. And after. So that essentially brings me to that point of remorse. If the apology was manufactured in a direct message on social media, like that's going to be the end of it, we can all move on with our lives. It shows the same level of immaturity you would expect a 14-year-old to have. And that's the problem. I've read in the Twitter sphere, which as we both know is either a great place or a toxic place, depending on whose replies you're reading. Oh, yeah. And there's two different ways to look at it. One is, well, you know, he was young. He made a mistake. You got to let him move on. And the other one is, of course, exactly what we're talking about. There's a reason he has been blacklisted from the league. And it's not just because of what happened, or at least what he was convicted of, seven years ago. The reality of the situation is we have successfully seen an outstanding lesson in horrible PR. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, whether or not people want to believe this, before a decision like this is made and an Instagram DM going a week prior to an announcement is a great indicator that these decisions are not made on a whim. There are multiple conversations. There are multiple people involved in those conversations. And they're doing stuff, looking up your history, looking up personal things about you that many of us will never know about each other. The work digging into people's personal lives, especially when you enter the public eye, but even more notably, when you become a professional athlete, they know everything. So the fact is that after all those conversations, after all of that fact-finding that I talked about right when I started, somebody, somebody's made the decision that this is what's best for the organization. Now, for what it's worth, one of those people in the room make more than you and me combined. And that decision was still made. It doesn't take somebody to make a lot of money to tell you this is not going to go well. And the reality is, if the NHL didn't come forward and say, what is going on here? You have to ask yourself, what, where is he playing right now? Where does Mitchell Miller play right now? Because I would be hard-pressed to believe he's not in Providence. He's, he's likely playing, and he is only a couple steps away because that's how the ECHL, whether it be the AHL, the NHL, you are only a few steps away from the next opportunity. Mm-hmm. It could be an injury. It could be you're just playing the lights out, especially as a defenseman. You're not like one of these centers or wingers. There are fewer defensemen than there are 
any other forward. Right. So it, it, it's just for me, and this you, this, you want my personal thoughts. Yes. My personal thoughts are that the conversations that I discussed about those who are the top of the food chain in the organization, those conversations should have been a lot shorter. And at the end of the day, all of this could have been avoided. Mm-hmm. Does that take away from how good of a hockey player Mitchell Miller is? Absolutely not. But what it does say is that as far as this league is concerned, we're not even going to put up with it. Exactly. Exactly. Like that's, that's a perfect way to kind of end that is the NHL is not accepting it. No league is going to accept this because, and not only that, a couple other things I didn't mention. First of all, the Bruins never notified the family of the kid Isaiah that this was going to happen. And the mother's like, what the hell is going on here? Rightfully so. And then you have after Mitchell Miller's found in court, guilty of bullying and racism, still taunting the kid after. So clearly he had no remorse about it. He was only sad he got caught. One of those situations. Like you said, Aaron, and you hit the nail on the head. This all could have been avoided. Don Sweeney and Cam Neely probably should be fired for this. Let's, let's just call it like it is. This was a fireable offense. An awful move. But you also think about it too. Why did they make the move? Because you said it. Defensemen are hard to come by. The Bruins have drafted horribly since like 2015, especially defensemen. Charlie McAvoy was the one hit that they had on. It's McAvoy and Lindholm on that first line of defense. And after that, it goes down a little bit significantly. Like I love Matt Grizzlick, Brandon Carlo, those guys, but they're, you know, they're average hockey players in the NHL. Hmm. You wanted to try to get a bargain. You wanted to try to find, you know, a needle in a haystack and you found a bad needle. You did. Like, there's just, there's no other way to put it. So this all could have been avoided. And I'm a big believer in like circumstances and fate and everything. I don't find it surprising that when the Bruins signed him, they lost to the Maple Leafs. And then as soon as they get rid of him on Sunday, they played next game Monday, convincing win. That that doesn't shock me at all. I don't know if it shocks you, Aaron, but it doesn't shock me. Let me let me go back to something you just said and push back on it just for a second. For the sake of entertainment on your podcast. Oh, please I do. I get, I get pushed I back all the time. Please I do. Don't, I don't want to go I don't want to go skip Bayless on you, so I'll avoid raising my eyebrows in weird angles so it looks like I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so here's the thing. You said and you compared it to a needle in a haystack. Yes. He is not a needle in the haystack. It's he, he is the pitchfork sticking right out. Everybody can see the pitchfork in the haystack. He is a sore thumb. That's how talented of a hockey player he is. To say anything differently, it, it, it's just wrong. It, it's just wrong. But this is not about talent. This is about maturity. This is about a personality. And again, these conversations are across the sports world. In every league, they look at players, they look at the questionable things in their past, if there are any, and then they debate. The only difference here is that I think we both agree 
there should not have been a debate. Exactly. This this is this is a impossible debate to win, which is the same reason why he's not playing in the NHL. Bingo. Should not have even been a discussion. And like something you said too, should have been a quick discussion, a two-second discussion. Mitchell Miller. Nope, too controversial of the past. Next. Should have been that simple. But the Mitchell Miller era is over. It only lasted, thankfully, two days. But that's two day- it was two days too many. And the Bruins PR and human resources and that whole organization from upstairs, not the players on the ice, but upstairs, need to find a way to make this up to Bruins fans. And it may take, may take years. It may take a couple mm. of years for this. Because not only did you go against racism, or sorry, not go against racism, but, you know, basically say, you know, we don't care about the racism thing. We don't care about the bullying thing. You offended a lot of people with this. So think about it from that perspective. Final thoughts before we get into a little Patriots talk. Again, and this is not to create a debate, but it's not that I guarantee you that those in the Bruins organization are going to say it's not that they didn't care. And, and, and that's and that's the part that's going to send fans irate. Yep. Is they're going to say it's not that we didn't care. It's that we looked at the situation and we believed this is what's best for the organization. And the reality is, whether it be the fan base or the players in that locker room, all you heard was a loud and resounding, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And that is the difference here. Yes. When everyone's telling you no, you probably should listen, especially to your captain that's been there for almost 20 years. You should probably listen. And for a guy who's worked in PR, for what it's worth, Al, I will say I can only imagine the phone calls over that 48-hour stretch that they were getting from everybody. And email outlets. Right, and emails too. And emails too. Oh, yeah. Like I saw on Twitter emails that actual followers of mine people I follow were sending and I'm like wow they really like not that I didn't think they weren't taking it seriously but it's like wow to have to send emails to HR and public relations to the Bruins this really this is something like they need to get rid of this kid but again Mitchell Miller gone don't have to worry about him hope that he finally figures it out at some point if and when he's remorseful maybe he can get a chance in the NHL but for now at least in my eyes he's got no place for it simple Let's get into some Patriots, shall we? Okay. Patriots. One on Sunday against, a, let's just call it what it is, a feeble Colts team. 26-3. to three. Ordinarily, I feel so good after the Patriots wins. I'm happy. Can go to school the next day and be looking forward to the week. But there was something different about this game. Hmm. So the Patriots won. They only had two touchdowns in this game. One of them offensively, one of them defensively. But here's the thing. You take a look at how they scored, right? The two touchdowns they scored were a two-yard pass from Mac Jones to Ramondre Stevenson, which resulted in a one-handed grab. I believe it was on the left side of the end zone on, on television. And then a Jonathan Jones pick six at the end of the game. So when you look at this game, and, and I have a couple of the stats right here because the, these are really alarming. 
So for those that want to know really what this Patriots game was all about, let me just let me tell let me show you something. So the Patriots again, 126 to 3. But you take a look at offensively the numbers. Mac Jones, 20 of 30 on the day, 147 yards. That's a little under seven yards a completion. Not great. Let's see, what other stats do we have? Total yards for the Patriots, 200 yards on the day, 203 yards total. Not good. Yards per play, 3.3 yards per play. 11 total first downs. 6 for 17 efficiency for the Patriots. 0 for 14 from the Colts, which is just stinky. Terrible. Four penalties. A fumble lost. But here's my whole point. Nine games in. They're right about where you would expect them to be, right? About five and four. You you toss in a Packers game where they should have won. Excuse me. You toss in, you know, maybe the Bears game. If you had a redo on that, maybe you find a way to contain Justin Fields. And then maybe, all right, you're sitting at seven and two and you're right in the thick of things. You're still right in the thick of things. But here's the problem. Your offense is going nowhere right now. It's going nowhere. People debate this, and I know, Aaron, you and I have talked off-air about this a little bit because, again, you're a big Boston sports fan, big Patriots fan. I'm a Mac Jones guy. I'm going to stand by Mac, but it's obvious to see that there's there's a little bit of regression there, a little bit, because if you take a look at before he got injured, before he sprained that ankle or whatever he did, right, that Ravens game, I was at that Ravens game. He looked good throwing the ball. He looked really good. Did okay against Miami, did okay against Pittsburgh. But after that, you know, he misses four games. He comes in that Bears game, plays for like a a couple drives, and then is out for the game. A lot of people are saying, you know, Mac doesn't look good. But you got to take a look at a couple factors. First of all, the offensive line is in shambles right now with no David Andrews, no Marcus Cannon. Marcus Cannon's on the IR for four games with a concussion. Andrews has been out with a concussion, so hopefully he comes back after the bye week when they play the Jets in week 11. And when you can't block and when you have a guy that's leading the NFL in penalties and Isaiah win, that is a recipe for disaster. So Mac Jones only has maybe two seconds to throw the football. And then if he doesn't see his first read right away, he's in trouble because he's not like a Justin Fields. He's not like a Josh Allen that can move around in the pocket. He's not a Patrick Mahomes as far as mobility goes. So you got to live with what you have. But I think to blame it solely on Mac is kind of wrong because I think you got to factor in the O-line. You also have to factor in Matt Patricia. He's had some good games this year. Don't get me wrong. I give him credit. Like the the Cleveland game had a lot of great calls, 38 points, and that involves some defensive touchdowns. I understand that. You know, you scored 29 on the Lions. You scored 24 on the uh, Packers. But – the thing is, there are some calls where, and it's funny because Bill Belichick mentioned this in his press conference, the Colts guys knew, and I think even C.J. Mosley and the Jets, they were calling out the Patriots' plays before they even happened. Last time I checked, Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong, but in football, you don't want to do that. You don't want the defense to know your plays. It's a little bit of an advantage for them. So when I see this, I see a running game that's focused solely now on Ramondre Stevenson because Damian Harris has been hurt. I see receivers that can't get open besides Jacoby Myers. Like Devontae Parker got hurt, so that's unfortunate. Nelson Aguilar has been up and down. Kendrick Bourne has been non-existent. Tyquan Thornton has been inconsistent. 
trying to think if there's any other receivers I'm missing. Um, I think that's it for right now. Those are like the four or five main ones. Hunter Henry and John Smith, the tight ends, they got involved a little bit last game, but they've been essentially, I don't want to say bust because Henry had a decent 2021, but they haven't lived up to their contracts. So where do you go from here? What is your identity on offense? So I want to hear from you, Aaron. What do you think should be their identity? Where, where are the problems here? What should they do going forward for the last eight games? Okay. So uh, let me just start by being a little bit more optimistic than you. Let's just start there. That's not too hard to do. Trust uh, me. Well, in this case, it seems pretty easy. So challenge accepted. <laughs> I, I, will, I will say this. Since Mac has taken over in the quarterback spot, this being his second year, this Patriots team has been reminiscent of Tom Brady's first year. 2001 Super Bowl year. Am I saying the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl? No, but just hear me out for a second. Was that team recognized for its outstanding ability to move down the field, audible on every play, switch to a run when it should have been, or switch to a run when your pass is covered? That's not the team they were. No, but they had a legit offensive coordinator in Charlie Weiss. Well, here's the mutual shared thing between those two teams. This defense is outstanding. It's outstanding. I would argue it is one of the best defensive units we have seen in New England in a long time. I think Matt Judon should be signed to a lifetime contract in New England because that's a guy who understands the system and doesn't just get it, but he buys into it Mm -hmm. and he sells it back to the rest of the people. I can agree with you there. I'm on board with that. So here's the thing. You need to look at this team as we're going to be really boring. And you talk about the problems on the offensive line. So allow me to use the transitive property to get to my point. Oh God, we're using school. I thought I got out of that at three 30. Yeah. You're welcome. Damn you. So David Andrews, of course, out with a concussion. Who took his spot? James Ferentz. Yep. You use the last name Ferentz here in the state of Iowa. You're not going to make a lot of people happy, mainly Hawkeye fans. Why? Because their offense is horrible this year. Statistically, the worst. If you take out the games over Northwestern and Purdue just a couple weeks ago, this team is the absolute bottom floor. They are the basement of offensive production. So, to bring it back full circle, if a Ferentz is in New England, yeah, we're in trouble. <laughs> but here's the thing. This team just needs to be able to move the ball. Four field goals, to your point, and one offensive touchdown is not the production that anyone in that room is looking for. And you can point the finger to a couple of different ways. One is, of course, you know, it's, it's a different offense, an offense that I think everyone's kind of learning on the fly as they go. You know, we've got people in new positions. They're all trying new things. But here's the thing. You don't hear people say anymore that they're running a high school, middle school offense like they were in the beginning of the season. They're adapting. They're making changes. And you can do that 
when your defense is this dominant, you can do that. Now, here's the danger you play is that you're always going to take the chance of, well, now we're leaning so much on our defense. The offense needs to score if we're going to win games. I'm not going to disagree with that. But all I can say is this. How many times are we going to go one and three in New England and everybody's going to start setting stuff on fire saying, that's it for us? Right. I'm sick of it. I don't blame I'm you. I'm sick of it. I don't blame you. Because the reality of this situation is what happened two seasons last year. What happened last year? Started one and three. And then we had at one point a hold on the number one seed in the AFC. I know. Am I saying the same thing is going to happen this year? Absolutely not. But the reality of the situation is that as long as this offense can maintain, they're always going to have a chance to win. And look at the remaining schedule out. It's hard. It's hard when they come off the bye. They have the second, they're playing the second hardest strength of schedule in the whole NFL after the bye. And we can't laugh at the Jets anymore especially after what they just did on Sunday against Buffalo. You can't. I think we still can. We still can. Did you see what Zach Wilson did two weeks ago against the Patriots? He saw ghosts like Sam Darnold did. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm saying they, what did they do to what many believe to be the best quarterback and MVP favorite in the NFL? I I see I see what you mean. I got you. So here, so here, and, and again, going back to the fact that their offense just needs to sustain let the defense take care of business. But but here's what it comes down to. You're looking at a team right now in a division that used to be the laughing stock of the NFL. And now all four teams have winning records. We are not in Kansas anymore to take a line from the Wizard of Oz. We're not in the same NFL. And the reality of these teams right now is that it's only going to get more difficult for New England but does that mean they cannot keep winning games? Absolutely not. Because in, in my opinion, the Patriots, the only games that the Patriots should be significant underdogs, and this is historically based, and you can even use this season as an example, the Patriots always struggle against mobile quarterbacks. Always. Justin Fields dropped a 30-piece in Gillette. Yep. Outside of last outside of Sunday, and then the game, of course, that we played on Monday night, Justin Fields was being considered as nobody you wanted to have unless you were a Bears fan, in which case you're still defending him. And we have a lot of them here in eastern Iowa. They're all, you know, he'll figure it out. We still have faith in Justin Fields, while the rest of the league and the rest of the fans didn't. Right. So all all I can really highlight is the fact that, you know, don't quit on the team and and just let them sustain. There's plenty of opportunities for them. They just, they, you just got to put them in a good enough position. And the more that they can get turnovers, the more sacks that they can get. If they make you go backwards, they're going to get good field position. And that's what game they're trying to play. Shorten the field. Okay, so so a couple things about your rant that you just went off. Thank the, you. The, the, no, 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 but here, the defense, right? Very good defense. I can agree with you there. Very, very good. But you also said it, the mobile quarterback. That yep. has been the Achilles heel, especially because the Patriots linebacking core, it's decent, 
but it's it has it struggles against mobile quarterbacks. We've seen that. Sam Ellinger, not a mobile quarterback. They were able to keep him in the pocket. He got outside a couple times, but they were still right there. So, you know, I can that I can give you. You take a look at this Patriots schedule. Their last eight games of the season, home against the Jets, at Minnesota on Thanksgiving. That's a tough game. Minnesota's a tough game. I I was laughing at them beginning of the season, thinking, oh, it's Kirk Cousins. They're not going to – they're good. The Vikings are legit. I can give them that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then they're home against the Bills for I think that's uh, Monday Night Football. I could be wrong. At the Cardinals. I think they can beat the Cardinals. Without – like, I know Kyler Murray's mobile, but the Cardinals have taken a significant step back. They're not that great. The Raiders are a dumpster fire right now with Josh McDaniels. We could get fired before the season's over. They have talent, but they can't put it together. The Bengals, offensive line, I worry about Joe Burrow in that offense with that offensive line. And if Jamar Chase doesn't play in that game somehow, then that's an advantage for the Patriots. Home against the Dolphins on th- on New Year's Day. And then at Buffalo where they could be playing. Buffalo could be resting guys for the playoffs. So there's a path here. Like I realistically think in those last eight games, there's no reason why you can't go five and three. If everything breaks right. But again, everything has to break right. And you need to have this offense together on the same page. Now, I was saying the same thing last year that you said about this team looking like the 0-1 Patriots. You know, rookie quarterback, young quarterback. Looks like he can make smart decisions. Looks like he can throw the ball well. Good running game and a good defense. This year, good running game. Good defense. I'm not going to say a great defense. I'm not going to say a dominant defense, but I will I will give them good. They are a good defense. Matthew Judon should probably get defensive player of the year right now if you had to end the season today. And he and if he continues the pace he's on, he's going to get 20 sacks this year. No doubt about it. Josh Uche is a nice piece. You have some good corners and safeties with Duggar and Adrian Phillips and such. But again, the thing is, you need to move the ball. And to your credit, they move the ball. They just can't get it in the end zone. That's the problem. Their red zone efficiency is horrible. I would be surprised if they are at the very bottom of the NFL in red zone efficiency. That's where my problem lies. So if you can fix your red zone efficiency, you can fix those problems, and you can start getting in the end zone a little bit more, then we can talk. Because you think about the Colts game, Aaron, the only reason they got in the end zone was because Jonathan Jones blocked the punt and the Patriots recovered it at the Colts' two-yard line. And it still took a Ramondre Stevenson one-handed grab to get in the end zone. So, again, with this offense, they have time to figure it out. They got the bye week coming up. The Jets at home after that. And I and I was joking a little bit about not laughing at the Jets. But the thing is that they're just some teams that have other teams' numbers. The Patriots have the Jets' number. And until the Jets can beat them, I'm not going to be convinced otherwise. So the Patriots should win, especially with an extra week of preparation. And then they're going to have a short week going into Minnesota for Thanksgiving. If you can find a way to beat the Jets and beat Minnesota and go to 7-4, and four, then you're talking about a realistic chance of making the playoffs. And, and for what it's worth, I think they will. That 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 I, I just want to say I think they will. I, I think Kirk Cousins has done a tremendous job this year. He's had even more fun wearing jewelry on the plane and doing weird dance moves. <laughs> yeah, I saw but, that. But at the end of the day, you're you're exactly right. The, the the potential is there. 
it ultimately is going to come down to the two games against Buffalo. I'm not even going to include the game against Miami because I feel like it's a split every year. You can put it on a put it on a anything you want that's permanent. It's going to happen. There's always just going to that's just how life works. We split with Miami, and then it's going to come down to how things go in Arizona if they can keep Kyler Murray in the pocket. Because that, that's the nice thing about Kyler Murray is is a lot of people say he may be distracted. The new war zone comes out in eight days. So he's probably, <laughs> in addition to playing the other Call of Duty, he's probably getting ready for that. But let's let's let me move back for a second because you talked about red zone efficiency. Pro football focus has the New England Patriots right now at 29th in red zone efficiency, scoring touchdowns only about 40-ish percent of the time. I think it's 46. I don't, I don't want to – I'm going off, you know, just a very generic search. But well, I for, know they're 29th. Fourth they're near worst the in the NFL. Fourth worst in yeah. the NFL. Great. Love it. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. So I, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Thank God we have Nick Folk, the number three fantasy football kicker, by the way. Just <laughs> want to point that out. Everyone thought I was crazy drafting him in the 12th round. But, hey, look at me now. Pretty smart. So here's so here here's the thing. Ultimately, we're we're talking about a team that just needs to be able to put a couple of games together and just keep one of those mobile quarterbacks in the pocket. Now, I'm not going to begin to assume the actual extent of Josh Allen's injury, yeah. but you have to believe whatever it is. He's one of the toughest guys I've ever seen. I loved him when he played at Wyoming. That's how much I loved Josh Allen. I was like, I don't know what it's going to take for us to ever get our hands on Josh Allen, but wherever he goes, he's going to be special. He is tough, and, and I hate to say it, he is Buffalo. He, he is. He, he belongs there, and he has completely changed that franchise. But ultimately, you just need to keep these guys in the pocket. And I realize that's so much easier said than done, but if they contain, all of these games are winnable. Absolutely. Every single one of them. And the nice thing about it is a guy like Tua isn't necessarily there to run. All of these other quarterbacks, Joe Burrow isn't there to run. Kirk Cousins isn't going anywhere. Nope. So you just need to be able to contain. And if they can find a way to do that, they could win all of the games the rest of the way. I'm not saying they're going to. Let me be very clear. I see the face on your – I see your facial expression. I see it. I am not saying they're going to win every game. I'm just saying if you break it down, that's how you can win every game. And I guarantee you those inside the room, those inside the building over in Gillette, they're going to agree. They're not going into a game like, well, we're not winning this one, boys. Sorry. <laughs> you think Matt Slater's just going to mail it in? No, he wants to wait till the end of the game so they all can do their oh, yeah, champ. That's that. what it's about. This. So they're all winnable games. This question is, can they contain the quarterback? And again, well, that, that's why they're going to play him. Contain the quarterback, make him make bad decisions. Like in the Jets game, right? He contained Zach Wilson. He made him make three bad mistakes. That ultimately won you the game. It did. Yeah. It won you the game. So hopefully the Patriots offense can figure out some things during the bye week. They can look re-energized against the Jets, and then they can go on a run here for the last eight games. Again, I'm saying five and three. Aaron thinks they can win all of them, which, you know, who knows? Crazier stuff has happened. I'm not saying they're going to go eight and oh, Al. No, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. 
No, I know. I know. I'll, I'll tell you what, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna put me on the spot and say pick a number, I'll say six out of those eight games they win. How's that's that? Fair. That's very fair. Optim optimistic. I'll that's say very six fair. out of the eight they win. I listen, I'll go five and three and I'll say, <clears throat> excuse me, they're ceiling six and two. I'll go with you. I'll say that. Again, right. it's for me, it's if you can move the ball offensively and get in the end zone, then we'll talk. Yeah. Then, then we'll really be cooking with gas. Because again, this defense and the defense, again, very good defense, can be a great defense. Just got to do it consistently. You got to do it against mobile quarterbacks. And let's think about this. Zach Wilson, somewhat mobile. Kirk Cousins, like you said, not mobile at all, so you don't need to worry about him. Derek Carr, not really mobile. Joe Burrow, a little bit. Not great, but a little bit. Tua, not really. And Josh Allen's mobile, right? So you got a couple mobile quarterbacks there that you have to beat. And if you can somehow manage a split against the Bills, just like you did last year, you take that every day, and no pun intended, twice on Sunday. So you do what you have to do. So again- those four words, Al, not to cut you off. It's coming down to those four words that you just said. Get in the end zone. Bingo. You don't get in the end zone. All of these games are up in the air. They've they, they've got to produce in the end zone. And I and I think they will. Hashtag get in the end zone. That's what the Patriots should do. Tell Matt Patricia that. Put it on a t-shirt. Hashtag get in the end zone. All right. Patriots. So normally with the Patriots, we discuss the game prior. We preview the game next, but because it's a bye week, we will wait till next week to preview the Jets game. So let's get into some Red Sox. Before we get into Red Sox, I got to give a shout out to our sponsor over at A&B Kitchen and Bar. Whether you are in Boston, Massachusetts or Beverly, Massachusetts, if you want to be at the game without actually even being at the game, go to A&B Kitchen and Bar in both of those locations. They have great meals, locally crafted beers, and everything that you can imagine for the ultimate atmosphere, whether you want a night out with the family or you want to root on your favorite Boston sports team, go to A&B Kitchen and Bar. Get the experience of being at the game without being at the actual game and tell them the Legends Boys sent you. If you're ever in Boston, that's a place that we got to take you and uh, get you a good quality bite and uh, good quality food. Sorry, no, that, I just said the same thing. Good quality food and good quality drinks. We'll get you there. I'll be there. I love it. I love it. All right. Last topic of the night, Red Sox. Yes, we're actually talking about the Red Sox because something actually happened. Xander Bogarts. This is a shocker. He opted he opted out of his contract. So Xander Bogarts had, excuse me, excuse me. Woo, that's what happens when you uh, have a stuffy nose. But Xander Bogarts, three years, twenty million dollars left on his deal. Opted out. Not a surprise, right? What was a little bit of a surprise was there were some rumors going around, and I had an, an article up on Nesson, but I don't have it now. But basically, what Nesson, New England Sports Network, said was the Red Sox are potentially thinking about plan Bs if Bogarts leaves. Here's my problem with that, Aaron, and I'm going to get a little escalated there. I'm going to get a little escalated here, so you might want to block your ears. There shouldn't be a plan B. There should be a plan A, and it's Xander Bogarts. What is there not to see here? But here's the thing that drives me nuts, right? If you're not going to sign Xander Bogarts, fine. Like, you you have your plan. You have Dansby Swanson out there. You have Trey Turner out there. You have Carlos Correa out there. If you're not going to sign Bogarts, at least try to sign one of those other three. Keep Trevor Story at second base. I had this. I was listening to 98.5 The Sports Hub, and I was listening to Tyler Milliken, who is – 
an associate producer, and he's also a co-host on the Carabas podcast on DraftKings. And he he's a big fan of like the advanced statistics in baseball, but there was one that really caught my eardrums on this as I was listening on the way home. Trevor Story ranked in the lowest eighth percentile in arm strength at second base. So that's something to think about. He has a weak arm at second base, but he's still making great plays. You put him back at shortstop, you're looking for defensive efficiency to go down. And you're looking, you're looking past the guy that just got nominated for a gold glove. Like he he was in the running for a gold glove in Sandra Bogarts. But this is what I'm this is what I'm gonna hate, Aaron. The fact is the Red Sox are gonna play it up like, oh, he's and Heim Bloom's already saying it. He's our number one priority. We want to make sure we get this done, you know, all this stuff. And this is what I think is gonna happen. I think they're gonna say all the right things, they're gonna give him an offer. He's going to take a bigger one potentially in a market like Philly or St. Louis or even the Yankees. God forbid, I hope that doesn't happen. But he's going to take a bigger offer and they're going to say, well, we tried. You should have tried in spring training. You should have tried after last year. You had the opportunity to get this done. You had the opportunity to pay him fairly. And Scott Boris is saying, the hell with you guys. You guys screwed him over. So guess what? Unless you give me a blank check to put whatever Xander Bogart should get, on that blank check, we're going to go talk to other teams. And rightfully so. Xander Bogarts, two-time World Series champion. He's a guy that w- almost won the batting title this year. He's a guy that has proven year in and year out that he can become better as a defensive shortstop. And he's a good hitting shortstop. So why are you so hesitant to sign him long-term? Like, I, I just don't understand it. And then guess what? You already lost Mookie Betts a couple years ago. You lost John Lester way back in 2014. You're, gonna, you're probably going to lose this guy now, and then you're going to lose Rafael Devers at the season after. And where are you going to be as a franchise? You are going to be on a similar level to the Pittsburgh Pirates, but with more money in terms of talent, in terms of pure talent. Because, yes, you'll have guys like Trevor Story and maybe Tristan Casas develops. Maybe you still have Alex Verdugo. Kike Hernandez, I think, will be long gone. Jaron Duran, who knows if he's going to develop in the major leagues? Who knows how the catching situation is going to be? The Starting rotation, don't get me started on that. And the bullpen's a mess. You have a few pieces in place, but you can solidify your infield for the next five to seven years if you just pony up the dough. And you couldn't do that. So don't be surprised if next week we're on here reporting that Xander Bogarts is signed with Philly or St. Louis or the Yankees or whatever other teams are interested. It doesn't surprise me. It's been so dumb and tireless at this point. Why are we still doing this, Red Sox ownership? Why are we still playing these games with homegrown talent? I don't understand it. There's a reason that these teams win. There's a reason the Houston Astros won the World Series this year. I know you can say the cheating thing, but guess what? Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, guys like that, homegrown. And they've grown up together. Correa was a part of those teams for a little bit too and won the 17 World Series, even though there's an asterisk next to it. There's a reason they get back every single year, at least to the ALCS, because they keep their talent together and they've gone together. And also, and then I do want to hear your thoughts, just this last point. Look at what the Atlanta Braves are doing. They're locking up all of their core, their nucleus, for reasonable deals. What Alex Anthonopoulos is doing over there in Atlanta, like, claps to you, bravo to you, because you know how to keep your team together. So you can believe the Braves are going to be competitive. The Red Sox are a couple moves away from being consistently in the basement in the American League East. Go ahead, Aaron. 
So, oh boy, where where do I start? I I'll start with the shortest point I can possibly make on all this. You better re-sign Devers. If you made the decision that Bogarts ain't the guy, we're not going to re-sign him before he reaches free agency, then you better re-sign Devers because you can't lose them both. You lose the left side of the infield. Yeah, I, I love I love the Pirates reference. And, and dare I say, I would almost compare it to the Rockies. Ugh. I would Baseball almost compare back when back when Trevor's story was over there. <laughs> and, and he leaves that to join another version of the Rockies. So here, here's the thing. That's my short point. You have to re-sign Devers. That's number one. But but number two, and, and this is this is important. I, I realize that you know we have been spoiled as Red Sox fans in recent memory. My father would tell you he has not been spoiled. He was waiting a very long time for that 04 World Series, and he finally got it. He was at the World Series in 1976 oh. when that heart was broken once again. Oh. So believe me, I get it. But I think we're a little bit spoiled as far as some of the success that we've seen in in a relatively short period of time. But consider this. Yeah. And I'm going to include the COVID season in 2020. Two of the last three seasons, the Boston Red Sox have a losing record. Mm -hmm. And even if you go back a season ago, it's not like their record jumped off the page. They had an outstanding run to the postseason and in it. But they were not a team that you're like, wow, I hope I don't run into them. Right. They just played well when it mattered. They, they had to sweep Washington just to get into the playoffs. Right. They, they were not a team that was getting circled and highlighted on the calendar when the postseason schedule came out. That's I, I hate to put it that bluntly, but that, that's the truth. No, it's fair. 100% fair. So here's the thing. Based off of just the last three years, the question that needs to be asked is who are the Red Sox trying to be? Because ultimately, it's been pretty clear they're, they're trying to save some money. The Red Sox used to be some of the biggest, still are big, but some of the biggest spenders all the time. And it's very clear we're not going in that direction anymore. These gigantic contracts, these Edwin Diaz, what he's going to get paid, it's not happening in Boston anymore. Even Trevor Story's deal is high, but it's not incredibly ridiculous money. For baseball, you're like, all right, that's it's good money, but it's not what Judge is going to get. It's not what Devers should get. Ultimately, we're we're talking about a team that's not going to shell out gigantic contracts anymore. Even so to the point where, do you think J.D. Martinez chose to stick around because he realized, yeah, this is more money than I'm going to get anywhere else? No. So here's the thing. The Red Sox right now are in the middle of a financial predicament, trying to decide... How much are we willing to spend 
to get the success we're looking for. And part of that has to do with the success within your own division. I mean, let's just, I, I, I'm going to exclude the Orioles for a second because what happened last year was a better's dream. If you bet the money line on Baltimore all last season, you would have a pretty penny in your pocket. I don't remember yeah, the exact number, but it, it's a lot of money. But at the end of the day, you have to make a decision. You know, what team are we really going to be and how much money are we really willing to spend to be it? And you talked about that article in Ness and the plan B and moving story over to shortstop and looking for a second baseman instead of a shortstop. You know, I, I think really, unless you start to your point, developing talent and getting guys in and dare I say, trading pieces to grow more of that talent. I don't know how you end up competing in the AL, let alone the other three teams in your division. Cause they are, they're all good. They're all good. And, and more terrifying is that you, you look at what Toronto has done and I realize they've missed the postseason, but they are young. They're young and they're hungry and they're talented. These guys are going to stick around. I mean, you saw what Vlad Guerrero Jr. said about mm -hmm. potentially going to the Yankees. No shot. Right. This, this is this is dangerous territory for Boston because now you have guys who are in your division playing against you more regularly than any other team that just want to win. So you have an option. Pay and compete or start over again. And statistics would show we may be looking at option B. Oh, God. It's so horrifying to hear that. Is it ideal? Of, co of course not. Absolutely, of course not. But to believe that, you know, with, with the team that they have now, and, and especially I think Bogarts being allowed to walk is a perfect example. It's not about reloading for next season. It's about, well, let's see what happens. Let's see if this team can string together a couple wins, go on a good winning streak here and there, see how they end up at the all-star break and then call it good. We'll see where we end up. But you're looking at three seasons in a row where they have not been necessarily put in a position where we're going to do everything we can to win ball games. A team that was known to spend money because even in those World Series years, look at how much money Boston spent. I know. They're not spending that money anymore. Nope. And that's an organizational decision that ultimately comes down to where do you want this team to be, not next year, but in three to five years. And the answer is probably not one that people in Boston are going to want to hear. Nope. And you know what? It's funny because when Xander Bogart signs next week with the Philadelphia Phillies and Dave Dombrowski is holding a press conference with Bogart's jersey, there's part of me that's going to shed a tear. There's part of me that's going to laugh maniacally and evilly too because I'm going to say, you deserve this, Red Sox. You deserve to get spit on and mm -hmm. laughed at for what you made Xander Bogart's do. And that's go to the guy who you played under at one point when he was the CEO of the Red Sox and like the chief baseball officer, whatever you want to call it, GM, whatever, and was making these moves to win you a World Series. There's a reason Dave Dombrowski is a winner. 
There's a reason why he builds teams because he's not afraid to spend. And to go back to your point about the AL East, the AL East is loaded. The, the Rays find themselves in it every year with great pitching. They always get pitching. Their lineup, you never think it's good, but they always find a way to win. They're just one of those teams. They find a way. The Blue Jays are loaded with power and loaded with speed and loaded with talent, and they're willing to add right now. They added, I think, uh, Reed or um, the pitcher, what the lefty pitcher. What's his name? Um, Hyjin Ryu or something like that. Sure. Yes. I think that's him, right? But they, yes. but, but they add, but they add, they add pieces, right? I think they added Matt Chapman for a third baseman from the Oakland A's in a trade. So point is, yeah. they're willing to make moves to win right now. The Orioles are going to be good for years to come, especially with Adley Rutschman and the, all those guys there. They're going to be, they're going to be coming very good in the next couple of years. The Yankees are the Yankees. They just made it to the ALCS. I know that they had a little bit of a letdown after a big first half of the season, but they're going to be right there. And I'll, I'll guarantee you that they find a way to re-sign Aaron Judge because they'll pay the money. And if they don't repay, if they don't pay big money for Aaron Judge, then they're stupid too. They are. And I have friends that are Yankees fans, and I've told them, you are dumb if you let Aaron Judge walk out. And they agree. But anyways, you're in a loaded AL East. You think about it, right? Baseball and football, the Boston sports teams, in loaded divisions. That's just how it is right now. And you can't get away from that. So you have to win in your division. The Red Sox couldn't beat the Jays last year. Struggled against pretty much everybody in the AL East. They had a horrible record in the AL East. Then they played against the AL West. They looked like world beaters. They couldn't lose. So, again, I don't know how this team is going to orchestrate itself. If it's going the way that Aaron thinks that it could go, it could be more of a rebuild, which I don't think fans in Boston are going to want to see because they have the talent already in place. They just need to pay up. And if you don't want to pay up, then you shouldn't be here. And Heim Bloom, you know what? For as great as he's done a job of replenishing the farm system and really building up that farm system, this is the offseason. you got to make moves. You don't make moves and you get go toward another last place finish, you're very well, he very well could get fired. And I'm not afraid to say that. Well, it, it's it, so you, you talk about guys who spend money. Theo spent money. Big a money. lot of people were upset when they get upset when Theo leaves because he basically sends them way over how much money they should ever be spending, but they win. They did win. Dave does the same thing, obviously. Heim Bloom is not there to be the big spender. And ultimately, his track record will show that. He is not there. He's not in Boston. He wasn't given this job saying, hey, here's the checkbook. Best of luck to you. Get us a winner. Let me ask you something. Gonna... Let me ask you something, Aaron, real quick. What's the yeah. difference between Dave Dombrowski and Theo Epstein, and then a guy like Bloom. What is the difference? I, I think the, the simple the simple answer is understanding finances. You know, ultimately, okay, you're, we're we're talking about we're talking about a guy who is put in a position with a goal in mind: bring the money down. You're not bringing in Theo Epstein and Dave Dombrowski to say. Hey, we really would like to lower how much money we're spending in salary. Right. If you could just find a way that we could just work on this while also still improving in other aspects, maybe not necessarily winning every game, but we need we need to reset this organization. We really need to just level off how much we're spending. That's the difference. Those other two guys were not given those assignments. 
So nobody not even, hired Theo Epstein to save money. Right. But not even, so not even the point that I was going to make, but that's a good point too. Here's the point that I was going to make. Dave Dombrowski and Theo Epstein, they're baseball guys. They understand mm-hmm. baseball. They understand Dave Dombrowski when he came to the Red Sox. Okay. We don't have a closer. We're going to go out and get Craig Kimbrell, one of the best closers at the time. We need a number one ace because David Price isn't doing the job. All right. I'm going to trade for Chris Sale and I'm going to make sure that he gets brought in to do to do what he needs to do. We need a power bat in the lineup. J.D. Martinez is out there. Here's your contract, J.D. Come, welcome to Boston. That's my point. And Theo Epstein, you mentioned Theo, right? <clears throat> Sign guys like Pedro Martinez, Johnny Damon, Kurt Schilling. He got those deals done. He got those deals done. Heim Bloom, what has he done besides drafting Marcelo Mayer and real in trading Mookie Betts, he got Alex Verdugo. He's a decent piece, but what have you done since? That's you just answered. You answered your own question. You've answered your own question. He's saved them money. That's it. That's all he's done. He, he's saved Boston money. That's what it comes down to. And you don't want to necessarily look at a sport that has no salary cap per se. And say, why would you care about saving money? Don't you just want to win? And other teams have certainly shown that. But this is not, you talk about these baseball guys. I also find it funny how these baseball guys also have checkbooks that they have access to. Time doesn't have it. I I know, what a a concept. What What an idea. But that's what that's 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 what it comes down to. Well, now you've you've spent some time to save some money. Are you going to take it and now start to spend it? That's what this offseason comes down to. And believe me, we're either going to have one of two things if they don't spend money. It's going to be another year of dirty water where we're all just kind of sitting around like, well, maybe, hey, this team might have something. Or we're going to know for sure that the team actually does. And that's going to come down to how much money is spent this offseason, period. It'll either be really good or really bad. We'll see what happens. But I think we'll wrap it up there. So just to kind of wrap up everything, uh, Bruins signed a scummy person, but then got rid of him the same weekend. Palms ban in two days. Patriots, five and four, heading into the bye week. A chance they could make a run the second half of the season. And the Red Sox are imbeciles. So we'll just, we'll leave it at that. But all right, Aaron, give us uh, your socials where people can find you for future endeavors and uh, future broadcasts of the junior melon heads. Yeah. The, the easiest way to put it is across every social media, whether it be Twitch that we talked about earlier or any, anything else, it's the shine bloom, the way it sounds, not the way it's spelled. So just shine like the sun bloom, like a flower. And, and yeah, that's, that, that's how lucky I am with my name in my life. I get to have the shiny flower follow me everywhere I go but nonetheless that's where you can follow me Al again I'm so glad to be a part of this what you get what you do and what you guys do I hope I can continue to um how do I how do I put this bluntly not live up to the expectations (laughs) as your other co-hosts but honestly thank you so much for letting me take the time out absolutely we're happy to have you you have an open invite anytime you want back on it so we'll be happy to have you again. As always, make sure to rate, subscribe to the Legends Legal Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Anchor, everywhere else where you can get your podcasts. Again, studentunionsports.com. And make sure that you check out everything that's going on there. 
For Aaron Shinebloom, I'm your host, Alan Hegan. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to episode 196. And we'll see you next week for episode 197. Yes, sir.